0: Well, tonight, our sermon title is Leaping for Joy. And we're in Luke chapter 1 for that particular uh, expression. They're in verse 44. This is spoken by Elizabeth, indeed prophesying, speaking there by the Holy Spirit, that the child that she was carrying in her womb, John, his name is to be called John, John the Baptist, as we come to know him that as soon as the voice of Mary's greeting sounded in Elizabeth's ears, not only she heard it, but the babe leaped in my womb for joy. So there is something. Well, those of us who who know the fellowship here will know that, uh, well, we've we've had a birth in the the life of the church recently. We have another family who have a connection with us, and uh, they're expecting a birth in, in January. And uh, a friend there, his wife, is expecting end of February. And then, of course, Dan and Ailey, awaiting the happy moments come uh, early April. There's quite a lot of births in the church, in and around us, friends we know. And uh, we're very much looking forward to that. We're rejoicing in that. And here are two expectant mothers, aren't there, who are meeting uh, quite a big, significant difference in age. Uh, both of whom uh, hadn't expected to be having babies, Elizabeth and her uh, husband, Zacharias, well, on in years, hardly imagined that that was to be uh, their experience to have a child. And yet that was what the the angel told Zacharias. He didn't quite believe it, uh, but he afterwards did when he had been struck dumb, as he had nothing useful to say, but only unbelief. And uh, lo and behold, his wife expecting a child. And then there's Mary, who's a cousin, relative of Elizabeth, who has recently herself conceived. And that by an extraordinary happening too. This was by the Holy Ghost. This was the Holy Spirit's doing. And how the power of the Almighty has overshadowed her. So she is carrying in her womb, well, not the forerunner, John the Baptist. She has the Son of God. And uh, is it not there where we find Elizabeth prophesying? But well, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come? In in verse forty three of uh, of Luke chapter one, and uh, that's the very thing. Uh, this is the mother Mary, uh, chosen. Well, she reflects, doesn't she? There, in what we call the Magnificat, there the lowly state of his maid servant. He, he's regarded me, living in Nazareth, and visited me. And gave me this noble task of of carrying in my womb the one who is to be ruler of Israel. So two expectant mothers, uh, six months or so apart, Mary stays. We read there about three months, and then returns to her home. To returns to Nazareth, and uh, soon after we find that Elizabeth, and we read on that uh, her full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. So that is the birth of John the Baptist. But even before the birth of John, John in the womb, hearing Mary, the mother of the Lord, leaps for joy. But here is the person who is carrying in her womb the strength of Israel, the hope of all nations, The one who is the wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, him. And in the womb, he recognizes the significance of this and leaps for joy. And that's his, Elizabeth's interpretation. We read that he leapt in her womb. There in verse 41, and with the Spirit's help, she interprets that movement as actually being A very deliberate, a very, very purposeful movement, that it was actually a response of joy. Well, my first heading, just to reflect a moment on what this means. Life begins at conception. Life begins at conception. Why, here is is John uh, in the womb. And uh, well, some months on in the pregnancy, perhaps six months on there, we might imagine when Mary uh, arrives there, as the the angel has already told Mary that uh, that's the time that Elizabeth in her old age is now in the sixth month uh, for her, Luke 1 verse 36. So we picture this being uh, six months on in the pregnancy. Oh, okay. So John now is... Uh, beginning to show had we been able to invite uh elizabeth to have an ultrasound and you know see the midwife and sort of check up the things that are going on and see how it's all looking uh we would have found why wow, incredible sight just as dan and ailey our friends are not well today so they're not here but uh uh wow the pictures ultrasound I didn't actually get a very clear picture last time the baby was moving too much a bit too lively to get a clear shot but uh oh he's there all right and we could have seen that uh, unmistakably a human being. And before we could actually really see the human being as such, when cells are dividing and and it's all looking there very indistinct. Nevertheless, it's a person emerging. There is a person there, and all the necessary aspects designed into emerge into what we clearly then will see as personhood are there at conception. You can't really say, well, it's not there then. Uh, no, it's there then. And it's, it's happening and it's developing and will develop into a very conscious uh, baby in the womb, capable of responding with joy and leaping in the womb for joy as we read it here. He was known to God and he was known to his mother. This is a person. This is not a nothing. This is not as, uh, the rather, uh, in their efforts to kind of conceal the obvious that here's a human being. Here is a person. And while at the beginning, the person might be a bit sort of just a few cells here dividing up, dividing up, but uh, there's a person there and don't mess with it. But they call it the products of conception. Well, can you, can you imagine the way of trying to sort of Distance yourself from, from an actual reality of a living being that you call them there rather, rather sternly, rather kind of academically, the products of conception. Well, you can appreciate, I'm sure there that uh, that doesn't work one little bit. It's just an effort to hide reality away from well-expectant mothers who may be thinking of having an abortion. And a bit saddened to hear that uh, soon people who are standing near abortion clinics perhaps won't have the, the right to be able to pray and to offer counsel. But uh, it's trying to hide that reality and suppress the reality of personhood. There is a person there very clearly by six months. Can't see too much there when the cells are just sort of dividing, dividing, but you don't have to wait too long before you can see very, very unmistakably the outline of a, human being emerging and so that is a person and that personhood is there when invisible to the naked eye so conscience speaks and this is a, a real person and so it can be filled with the spirit imagine that filled with the spirit in the womb that we learned it's going to happen to this child and uh, so it does and, and there is the result he leaps for joy, there is there is recognition. And that's the fact. There we are. I've never been a mother. That that's my uh, my lot, not to be. Other those of you have have been and know more about this than than I could ever possibly say. But nevertheless, that there is the the ability of an unborn child to respond very very clearly to outside stimuli, whether happy ones or unhappy ones. To respond to music, to respond to an environment of love. Or negatively to respond to an environment of stress and uh, the damage that can be done when the wrong environment surrounding there the unborn child. Because this is a person capable there of, of, of gathering in information and picking up signals and responding to those signals. So there is John the Baptist leaping for joy when, with the Spirit's help, he is able to interpret that voice that's just been heard, the voice of the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one for whom he has come forth, that he might manifest him to Israel. My second heading, are we leaping for joy? There it is. Are we leaping for joy? I'm talking about that, uh, my wife and I, earlier there. Are we joyful are we rejoicing in hope and of course the answer to that is not as much as we should be well here is an unborn child here is well we can see this this, there isn't the full set of intelligent responses here is not the full works of reasoning capacity here are not faculties now and tuned as they are into adulthood sure they're not and yet uh, he seems wiser than many of us then. I speak of myself in that way, who should be rather more leaping for joy at what we have represented for us in the Lord Jesus Christ than we are. And that's not to be uh, in some way trivial and, and foolish and sort of like grown people suddenly behaving like children at a party and leaping around and, and doing such things as that. But nevertheless, to have a a song in our heart and somewhere in our heart to leap for joy for have some movement some stirring well oh, newton's hymn is always excellent isn't it how sweet the name of jesus sounds in the believer's ear and we would agree with the hymn and we sing it very happily but we have to then turn it round on ourselves and say yes but is it true of you is it true of me well we have to say that though Christmas in that sense is, is when there is a focus, there is an emphasis upon well, wow. the Lord Jesus coming into the world and all the angels that sang at his birth and the, the rejoicing that there was. But it isn't always this time of the year that's a time of instinctive and natural rejoicing for us. It's often a time where we miss people, isn't it? And we Reflect, we, we stop from maybe our huge occupations, step back from them. We have time and time is not always helpful because we might be remembering very sad things that Christmas is uh, a reminder to us of people that we're missing, people that are not here and how often it is. And that's just reflected in the, in the statistics. This time of the year, a lot of people pass away. And so there are a lot of anniversaries that are painful ones. Or family breakdowns where the particular members of the family are not there because they don't want to be there. They've said some bad things, perhaps, or we've said some bad things to them. They're not there. And we feel that. We feel the alienation that comes with that. Well, oh, and then the world situation. It's, it's not as if when we sit there for Christmas, everything in the world just stops and President Putin suddenly becomes somebody totally else or... President Xi in in China turns over a new leaf towards the church and and the Uyghur people and everybody else. Uh, No, we're sure there'll be some bad news if we look for it on Christmas Day. Uh, And it will be there, whether from Ukraine or whichever part of the world. We Look at our community. Uh, We look around us and about us now. Neighbours who, well, people usually show a bit more friendship, don't they, at Christmas, uh, to say in this community, people are pretty friendly on the hop. But we don't see them responding with with a love for the gospel, do we? We don't see that change. Christmas comes and Christmas goes, and leaflets go out and people don't come in, and uh, that's been the the observation over the over the years, not only here but in many many places, and it saddens us. And then maybe our health is not all we would wish it to be, and uh, health doesn't sort of cheer itself up for have some sort of Natural uh, synchronization with Christmas day that you're not going to feel ill on Christmas day and uh, everything's going to be absolutely fine. Um, no ambulances will still be taking to people to the hospital on Christmas day and need for emergency doctors to to come out to us and that's finances I could really depress you quite uh, quite significantly and financial issues that press in and Christmas is where perhaps we had a little bit more than we we have this time. And all of that can be there. And then we may be perplexed at ourselves. And we wonder at ourselves, don't we? That oh, there's so little stirring in our own hearts. We're so unmoved by great truths. We realize that we are in the presence here in these readings and anything else you care to read in the Bible. Moreover in particular, is it centers very clearly upon our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and we can be so, so unmoved by it, uh, and so plodding in our response to it, that we look for there to be, if we can put it this way, a party to be going on in the soul, uh, somewhere inside, there'll be a party rejoicing, a leaping for joy. Uh, and yet, if there is, we don't hear the sound of so much of it. The older son there, in the prodigal son parable uh, Heard the sound of merriment, didn't he, in the house and asked one of the servants what this meant. And told, well, your brother has returned and your father has killed the fatted calf and the making merry. Not that he thought much of it, but he could hear something was happening. And we have to wonder, is there such celebration in our soul? Is there a sound of merriment there? There's John in the womb and uh, the wisdom he had as an unborn child was to leap for joy. Not at hearing the voice of the Lord Jesus, but hearing the voice of Mary. That was enough because she represented the child that she was carrying. And he, he leapt. He did a, a somersault of kinds there uh, in, in Elizabeth's womb. And she felt it and interpreted it in prophecy there through the help of the Holy Spirit. Well, there was a rejoicing there. There was a making merry there. But so often we are found in in some other state of mind, some other default setting. And all that we've just mentioned is, is sufficient, isn't it, there, to explain why at time's joy is just not to be found. We, we might sort of stop and interrogate ourselves and kind of get through the foliage of our more superficial feelings and thinking and still not find really what we hoped we'd find and that there isn't a, a quickening of the pulse, that there isn't a, oh, even excitement at the thought of what the Lord Jesus came to do, and what these events that happened, and they are extraordinary, they're meant to be extraordinary, they're meant to mark out the significance of Christ's coming, and the extraordinary work that he was going to do, basing himself, and lowering himself, and so that was his birth, that was to be a an abasing of himself, the average uh, Judean mother wouldn't uh, wouldn't have consented to having a child uh, born and, and looked after in a manger. That, that really would have been expecting too too much of her. But that was not to be too much for the Son of God to expect. And it wasn't as if our Lord Jesus, in coming into the world, was shocked, surprised, amazed to learn that that is his birth and that he finds himself in this stable or wherever it's out building in in Bethlehem and the oxen and the cattle lowing or whatever else. He knew exactly where he was going and knew exactly the birth that he would have and he knew that he wouldn't be coming into some king's palace. He's precious, isn't he? He is so, so precious. Yes, joy can be so elusive and we look for it and hope at times that it's running there somewhere deeper within that we've, we've yet perhaps to to tap into it and access it and make it function more in the the day-to-day living and and who we are and how we speak and how we think. You know, sometimes we fear that maybe there isn't as much there as there should be. It's very fragile, it's joy. It can go like that. It can be easily swept away. Things like fear and worry and being bowed down or just being driven or whatever else it might be are far more powerful things and kind of push joy well out of the way and and grow there in sort of the native soil of our hearts just too easily. And joy has to be more carefully cultivated and nurtured because it is quickly squelched, quickly removed and lost to us. Sometimes perhaps... We're too inhibited to actually be joyful, too nervous of being expressive of the joy that we should have uh, hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here are my final heading, some reasons for joy. And in a way, just picking up on on John, there he is, the the babe in the womb, that uh, soon to be out in the deserts, wasn't he? And then he came preaching to Israel, all the people went out from Jerusalem, all of Judah, to be baptised by him. There he would be, by the River Jordan and other places where there was water. And John the Baptist and uh, his words, well, he was, wasn't he? And he was meant to be so attuned to the Lord Jesus Christ, taking his cue from him, living his life in the light of him that he almost as a person himself no function no meaning apart from my place in the purposes of God preparing the way for him and just as the the voice of Mary the mother of our Lord was a source of excitement to the unborn John the Baptist that he was attuned to to the voice of Mary that the significance of that because she was carrying the Lord Jesus, and later on he speaks about himself being attuned now to the voice of the bridegroom who has the bride, speaking of himself and his diminishing role now, now that the Lord has come, and he's calling disciples and they are being baptised and everything now is sort of happening around him rather than John, and John said that's exactly how it's meant to be. Let's just uh, turn to a few verses from John chapter three, and uh, just reading from verse twenty-eight when he's talking to his disciples. They're, they're a little bit piqued actually that uh, everybody's now following him, not you. They had such respect for John that they felt that they they ought to take offence on his part here. That uh, John, you're, you're becoming more invisible, and people who used to listen to you aren't listening to you anymore. They're listening to him. And John says this, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. And in decreasing, In terms of his public ministry and the part he's playing in the plan of God. It wasn't that his joy would go with it. That he's thinking, you know, this is premature retirement. Why am I going to spend the time? He says, no, I'm exceedingly happy. I, I am the friend of the bridegroom. I'm not the bridegroom. I'm not the one to whom Israel should come or the people should come. They should go to him. And my place and my prominence is to reduce. And that is really good because now I hear his voice and look what the response is. It's like the babe in the womb, isn't it there? Uh, this I rejoice greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Even though now hearing the actual voice of the Lord Jesus, not his mother Mary, spells, as it were, the end of his ministry or the beginning of the end of it, the the, the kind of decline, the, the period of diminishing and diminishing. That, for John, matters not at all. To have this person there, to actually have his voice that he can hear, his teaching and his preaching, and to know that people can now hear his voice. Well, that's whose voice they should hear. The bride belongs to the bridegroom, not the friend of the bridegroom. And he is now delighted that this is period of ministry is coming to a close and that the Lord Jesus is there working in their midst. So he speaks of the Lord and tells of the eternal life. Verse 35, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the son has everlasting life and he who does not believe the son shall not see life. The wrath of God abides on him. John 3. Verses 35 to 36, and he's not speaking there of himself. If you don't believe in me, you won't see life, but the wrath of God abides on you. But if you don't hear him, if you won't listen to his voice, if you won't take him to be the bridegroom, the one that has come to rescue and find his, his, his wife there, his bride, and to pluck her out of obscurity and out of the mire, Uh, and to attire her in beautiful garments, and she'll be spotless and without blemish before him, then for you the wrath of God will remain on you. And those very famous words of his uh, spoken earlier in John's Gospel, chapter 1, and when uh, he sees uh, the Lord Jesus in verse 29 of John 1, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There he is. Behold him. Don't behold me, behold him. And there's so much, isn't there, in in those words, and they're repeated in John 1 verse 35. Lamb of God, a child in the manger, Lamb of God. And we know what the Lamb was to do. Innocent, harmless, sinless. The Lamb is picturing that as having something of that aspect of mildness and gentleness and and an innocence yet to be brought into great harm to have great damage inflicted Isaiah 53 and verse 7 he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth that that was to be the lot of this particular lamb all his innocence and his moral spiritual beauty his destiny was to die for his people and the destiny is is brought isn't it there to to mary's attention when the come the time for purification they they come to to jerusalem and simeon who has waited he's been told he will not die before he's seen the lord's christ and he knows this is the moment. He walks into the temple at the precise time, Joseph and Mary arriving with the, the infant Jesus. And he speaks to, to them, doesn't he? Luke 2, verse 34, following, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. That's what he's come to do. He's going to die. And that death is going to be very challenging to people. It's going to reveal the thoughts of their hearts. What were they expecting him to do? What were they expecting the Lamb of God to be? And that they needed a savior who would suffer for their sin. Yes, the sin of the world. That's what he's come to take away. Oh, sin. Sin everywhere. Sin in all people. Though we might uh, take the intention there in the crucifixion to die for his people, yet there is this great uh, global aspect of sin in all people and in every place. Not superficial either. Sin actually defines who we are outside of Christ. defines who we are, not our gender, whatever we imagine that to be, not our race, ethnicity. Uh, not our background, whatever class we'd be put into by various categories, but this, we are born in sin. In sin did our mothers conceive us. No superficial thing is sin. And sadly, as sinners, we leap for joy to do our own will. That's that's what we like. We actually are attuned not to the voice of Christ, but to, if you like, the voice of the devil, the temptations and All that within our hearts is churned up within our sinful thoughts, lusts and idols, covetousness, jealousies and resentment actually against the truth. We find it insulting and rebel against it. So sin makes us leap for joy at the wrong things. But then he gives us a new heart. This is what he brings for those in the world in sin, sin of all his people. He gives a new heart. A heart that actually will and is capable now of leaping for joy. A heart that is now like John the Baptist, tuned in to the voice of the the bridegroom and who rejoices when he hears of him. Something that just makes his heart skip. And even though his own position is going to become diminished and his influence less. and The publicity that he had and all the people who hung on his words will go away. In fact, whether he knew it or not, he's soon to be put into prison, isn't he? But it mattered not that this was not to be something that would be difficult for him. No, and we don't think he's just saying it grudgingly there, just putting on a happy face, not really feeling it. But he was feeling it in the depths of his being. And that new heart can be our new heart. and We can find it at Christmas. We can find it any time that we look forward. He's come there to deal with the sin of the world. And indeed, even those who do not own him, he'll subdue their sin and restrain it just by the very presence of Bible preaching churches and better side of us being made there in the image of God. And he takes it away, takes away the sin of the world. What a happy loss is that. We may grieve over some things that we lose. We get older, we lose our health, perhaps, and lose our looks, lose a few other things there. But this is a very happy loss. Never regret that your sins have been taken away or that my sins have been taken away. And they have been taken away. Where before there was penalty over us and condemnation, debt owed to God. Now that's been taken away. And whereas God had a frown before, now he has a smile. And whereas before his reaction to us was, as John had said there, the wrath of God abides on them. But then when we understood, when we trusted and believed and looked to the Lord Jesus, there went our sin, taken away. The record was changed. We were accounted not guilty. We were now acquitted and regarded actually as righteous, holy people. And this immense change is all part of that happy loss of the guilt of sin, the debt we owe to God, the forfeiture of our own hopes and joys in eternity. Now we are free. Nothing to pay today. Trusting in Him. That's where the communion table takes us. It takes us to Him. Trusting in Him. Nothing to pay today. Nothing to pay either on that great day of judgment when we will appear before him. And we won't be looking in a manger, will we on that day, friends. We won't be looking at some poor and struggling kind of baby reliant upon his mother. Oh, the sight will be rather glorious, will it, to behold him in his proper environments, in his full manhood and the dignity that is his properly to wear. Well, we will be able to stand on that day, even on that day, because our sins have been taken away so joy is recognizing some of that the lamb of god recognizing him and seeing what part he's going to play recognizing he's come to deal with the sin of the world sin of all kinds sin that's everywhere and including in our hearts and he's taken it away removed it and the record is clear and clean the debt is paid and we won't have to pay it again there's not some Kind of small print that we missed and we still find that, ah, actually you still got some outstanding amount. No. And we will enjoy that joy uh, of his name, being in his presence, living not by faith, but by sight. Oh, that's going to be joy, is it not? Joy is when we recognize something good, when we see it and responding appropriately to it. May God give us, like to that unborn John the Baptist in the womb, the hearing of the voice of Mary, yes, but Mary's voice is telling him the Lord Jesus is near. And then as a man, yes, there's the voice of the bridegroom, and I'm rejoicing at that, he says. Well, may he help us to see more clearly who we have to do with in the Lord Jesus, that actually that whole response, that joy, will actually be there we won't have to look hard for it it will be there and will bring to us our countenance our day-to-day living a little extra sparkle a little extra hopefulness a little extra dimension of peacefulness gentleness and joy may that be his gift to us this christmas amen